Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Western Focus podcast. I'm your host, Steven Meister, and with me is Blue. I want to do a quick apology for us going MIA again. We had some stuff come up. Blue ended up catching a little bit of a cold. He still has a cough, um, but hopefully that won't be too much of a bother for us now as we record. It is better for him, he said. So we're finally ready and back here at Western Focus to start previewing the LCS as the roster leaks have been out for a while now. And even now, much of the rosters are confirmed already as announced by the organizations. And we plan on covering half of the rosters in this first episode and then next week you can expect part two where we will finish up the other half as we do have a little bit of stuff we want to address before we will be diving into talking about the rosters first of all being i want to say a quick congratulations to t1 for 3-0ing weibo at the world finals this year Um, and just get that out of the way obviously we've been removed a while since that happened so congratulations to t1 it was a truly dominant performance from them over weibo and i'm sure for them being able to win it at home in korea is a truly special moment for all of them so congrats to t1 from me yeah i kind of saw it coming it was it was dominant and i was expecting it to be pretty one-sided just maybe not as dominant as it was but it was very much deserved they ramped up really hard in the tournament so i'm very proud of that effort and I also want to mention that I saw a lot of uh, fan concept art for the T1 skins. And I think modern takes on the red and black color scheme is just going to be a banger. So I'm looking forward to what they do with that. Yeah, the world skins are always hype. So did, did they announce uh, which ones that they're going to be doing it? Has that been confirmed? We got like the what their maybes are, but we didn't get confirmation yet. So... Okay, yeah, because I know Karia wanted Lux, but he didn't play Lux at all, so he couldn't get it, which is kind of sad. Yeah. All right, well, again, congratulations, T1. Super dominant performance from that world, and they'll definitely be looking like one of the favorites to continue on and uh, repeat going into next year as they are able to keep their full roster around, which is very exciting. Uh, A lot of people, I'm sure, thought that that was going to be the end of the road for them since they won, whether that be, you know, salaries going up or maybe they want to get a new challenge elsewhere, but they're sticking together as five. So that'll be very exciting to go into next year for with T1. And worth mentioning, by the way, that if they do stick around all the way until at least the beginning of summer, they will be the longest standing unchanged roster of all time, at least in major regions, which is quite an achievement. Yeah, and I'm sure that would happen because you're you're not going to be probably expecting any changes out of T1 from spring to summer unless like something major happens. Either they suck or some, you know, maybe one of the players is just like, nah, you know what, like... Uh, I want to go somewhere else for some reason, but that should happen. So that'd be a, a very big accomplishment for them as well. I think the only other one probably I could think of would have been the C9 roster, right? That have been the longest one. They currently hold the title, yep, yeah. that OG okay. roster. But if T1 sticks around, because the C9 roster was two and a half years. So yeah. if T1 plays at least the first game of summer with this roster, they will be the longest standing. Oh, there you go. You know, the, the, the selfish person in me kind of wants someone to leave but you know that's okay it'll, it'll, it'll be good for t1 if that happens because that, that that's a really well-liked roster with great players and they get along really well so that'll be a good achievement for them to happen so now with that out of the way we will be getting into the lcs discussion but again even before the rosters there has been some general lcs news that we need to discuss most notably evil geniuses and golden guardians leaving franchising leaving the lcs entirely the lcs will be an eight team league going into i would assume would be the entirety of 2024 
uh, Evil Geniuses and Golden Guardians, two teams that were on very different trajectories for a while until last year, where Golden Guardians was able to kind of buck their trend of generally speaking last place finishes near last place finishes nothing nothing really exciting in terms of the roster and even going into last year the roster wasn't really anything exciting but the performances that they're able to put together making it to the spring finals making it to the world's play and against bds they ended up able to like i said kind of buck that trend and put in a roster that had a lot of people really excited with Licorice in the top lane, River as their jungler, Gory coming in for Summer Split was a nice surprise for when he came in and started doing really well. He kind of fell off a little bit towards the end of Summer, kind of similar to MNS on C9. And then Stixay and Huhi, you know, guys like Stixay and Licorice, and even Huhi to some extent too, a lot of people have thought them to be kind of, you know, past their prime, not really at their best anymore, especially Stixay, who's been struggling at AD carry for a while before that. But last year they put in competitive performances, and a lot of people now are really sad to see them go, I think. They kind of became that fan favorite roster out of nowhere, whereas with Evil Geniuses, They've been on the exact opposite trend from last year for Golden Guardians, where even though EG was a good team and they still had uh, strong placements in the LCS, it was more so outside of their, their team on the Rift that year that they had controversies around Danny and not you know putting him in the best position to succeed with his mental health, causing him that breakdown and abandoning, I shouldn't say abandoning the team, but having to leave the team uh, before going into Worlds. I believe that was 2021? I think so. It was yeah. two years ago, yeah. Yeah, so 2021. Uh, if you don't remember that or if you missed that, basically there, you know, Danny had to leave the team for mental health reasons. He was not able to hold up. He hasn't played in the LCS since uh, because of that. And it seems like from all the stuff that has come out about the situation with Evil Geniuses and a lot of the higher-ups there, uh, including, I forget her title, but I believe it was like the CEO of the team, uh, Nicole uh the, her and a lot of the staff they weren't you know treating him the best and they had a lot of drama and stuff going on with trying to convince him to stay around and keep playing even though he was struggling um so a lot of drama with that um and even outside of the lcs eg has had some issues with, like their valorant team uh as well uh despite the valorant team actually ending up winning like the valorant equivalent of worlds i believe to, to league they had a lot of drama around their team there as well so eg has not been on the up and up with kind of their conduct behind the scenes and what was a team that I remember being personally excited when they were picked up for franchising because they're an organization that's been around for a long time. They had the kind of ownership switch and leadership switch for this uh, re-entry into the LCS and into, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure of necessarily esports in general, but definitely back into the LCS. Um, I was excited to have them back in because I remember when they had some guys in like Crepo playing on that team in support and, and Snoopy, I believe, in the jungle. They had, they had some some fun teams and some good personalities there. So I was excited to see them coming back and they were playing very strong. They had some strong players like Jojo, Pyun, and Vulcan come through that roster, I believe, Impact as well. But now just the, like I said, the exact opposite of Golden Guardians. Public perception of them was absolutely in the tank. And I feel like now more more people are probably happy to just see them gone and, and get out of the LCS uh, and probably get out of more out of esports as well from all the controversy surrounding them. So quite the 180 for both of these franchises uh, now that they will be out of the LCS. Yeah, you're right about the EG side for sure. I think I saw it coming even just because there was a lot of news uh, approaching this offseason that upper management was leaving. Like there was that Nicole... Um, 
leaving the, the the announcement and then there was other members of that upper management team also leaving there were layoffs across the board in that org and obviously that reputation as well as you mentioned was just not doing well at all so into 2024 they were sort of expected to field the budget roster to end all budget rosters where everyone would be paid absolute minimum nothing really to expect from them so I think it's it's valid that they left, and I'm glad they did because obviously that would drag down the whole league in general. We wouldn't really be excited to watch those games or anything like that. So it's it's deserved and expected and kind of sad because they even had that stint in the LEC, but at this point in time, I think the, the org has run its course. So it's valid that they left. But GG on the other side, it's a lot more interesting to me since... As you mentioned, again, they, they came off their most successful year ever. And all of a sudden, there's all this fan support around them. I myself was all of a sudden invested in their story and seeing what they could do next. But since the Golden State Warriors, the organization behind GG, wanted out of esports in general, I kind of get why it happened, but it does feel bad. So it, it's mixed on both sides. I think EG, if they didn't have this 2023 year, I would have been sad to see them go. And then GG, if they didn't have this 2023 year, I probably wouldn't have cared all that much. So yeah, good takes from you on both sides. It is it is what it is. And now we'll have to see what happens with this eight-team lineup. Well, and the crazy thing about Golden Guardians was that, uh, as we'll get into Cloud9 in the next episode to give a little bit of a spoiler here, unfortunately, but they uh, Golden Guardians was in the running for, for Jojo Pyun. Uh, EG was not going to bring him back. I don't know if that was just like maybe a general thing that they were going for, or if they kind of knew that they weren't going to be coming back to the LCS at that point regardless, and Golden Guardians didn't quite know that yet. Um, but Golden Guardians was in the running for, for Jojo, and then we f later found out that even Live Sandbox in Korea was going to try to end up taking Jojo Pyun away from C9 as well, but as a part of like um that saga golden guardians was told by like the golden state warriors company to like we have to put a freeze on all of the transactions all of the operations so it did seem like that golden guardians had a shot at him i don't know if he was just gonna come in there to play with that original roster obviously nothing else i don't think got kind of leaked around golden guardians i think the only thing that i know for sure is that licorice did i think he said like in a twitter post when you know it was announced that golden guardians was leaving that like he was expecting to come back so it would have been licorice and then jojo pyun maybe again river would have left to 100 thieves maybe that was just a symptom of golden guardians even we don't really know for sure but hearing just hearing like jojo pyun uh and associated with golden guardians again before 2023 would have been absolutely wild but the fact that they had that good year and gory was uh, gonna leave the team because he did not keep up his uh, consistent performance from the start of summer into the end of it going into worlds um, that would have been a huge upgrade for that team. That's like a real solidified superstar that would have definitely have given Golden Guardians some validity. And unfortunately for them, that situation happens and now they're out of the league. So I'm, I'm definitely disappointed for them because it would have been fun to see them sign a superstar like that to have them really bolster up that roster. But like you said, it kind of just is what it is and it's very sad to see them gone now because they were seemingly finally starting to kind of get some, some good momentum underneath them. Yep. And I also wanted to mention, too, that I'm kind of surprised because we, we heard from the, I forget what his title is, but the head of esports, I think, uh, he did that interview where he mentioned that all the LCS teams were offered the same buyout offer that was offered to the two that t took it. Uh, and I'm kind of shocked that Dignitas and Immortals didn't take 
the offer because uh, besides their very first split in the league back in 2016, Immortals have never really seemed to care about winning, I would say, and are probably the only team in the league to have never once finished in the upper half outside of that one split. So kind of crazy they didn't leave. I don't know if they really do care or maybe the buyout option wasn't good enough for them. And then on the dig side, it's less egregious, but they also haven't really demonstrated all that much identity besides the sort of OG days. And if I'm honest, I don't know. It's it it seeing especially Immortal still sticking it around in the league is just a weird thing to me. I hope that they they try harder and and put up a competitive roster, but I'm just not seeing it. Well, yeah, like, that was generally speaking, there was rumors going around before we knew which two teams that was going to be, that there were going to be teams dropping out of the LCS. I don't think that it was expected to be that maybe there wouldn't be any replacements for them either, just the fact that the LCS was going to become an A-team league. But yeah, I think most people saw, at the bleed, as you mentioned before, EG leaving due to their circumstances. Um, but I feel like most people probably would have assumed that it would have been, you know, Immortals or Dignitas, like you said. And then I think the only real inkling that we got that it could have been Golden Guardians was the fact that they were in on some players and they were told to stop operations. So maybe it, maybe it wasn't even like a guaranteed done deal right away. It could have just been like maybe they had to deliberate on it and then they did ultimately come to the decision that, hey, we have to withdraw out of the league, out of esports because of the parent company. Um, but yeah, I definitely did not expect uh, Golden, Golden Guardians to be the team at the time when kind of there was that rumors going around that yeah there are going to be some teams leaving golden guardians might have been on the short list but they probably would have been the last one i would have thought like maybe of the teams that could have been viable of selling i definitely would have put immortals uh, or dignitas ahead of them and then the other piece of news uh with the lcs non-roster related i guess technically it's two but it, it kind of falls under this umbrella of mark z becoming the new commissioner for the lcs he's been uh, a coach in the scene for a while. He's been an analyst on the analyst desk. He's been uh, casting games as well. He does uh, content out there on his own channel sometimes. He's probably most notably on The Dive, which is the LCS-run uh, podcast, as well as uh, on Hotline League that he does with Travis Gafford. Um, so he's been around the scene for a long time in a variety of roles associated with Riot and not with Riot, associated with the LCS and not. Um, and I think it's going to be a very exciting move, you know, watching a lot of his content, again, whether it's from, through his channels or the, the, the league channels. He seems to, to know a lot about it. I love watching Hotline League because it is a fan kind of interactive show over there and hearing him interact with takes good and bad. Um, whether they're, you know, people have called in about things like the import rule, you know, and uh, just talking about the teams in general. He seems to be pretty in touch with like what the the casual and maybe even not so casual uh, LCS fan would want. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can make the changes that would be probably relatively popular with the fan base because obviously it's different as a fan to propose changes and even someone like Mark who is well connected to fans uh, propose changes but there's always going to be challenges when it comes to implementing changes whether no matter how big or small that they are so he he does seem like the right person for the job I, you know I like hearing him talk he seems to you know get his thoughts along pretty eloquently and knows kind of the right things to say 
So I'm, I'm excited to see him in the role. It's definitely not something that I would have expected at all, because generally speaking, when you're thinking of like a commissioner role for like a traditional sports league, they're not really someone that's that's kind of in that, that position that he was beforehand. They're usually like, you know, probably pretty savvy business people, or they have like some law stuff, you know, going with them. I don't know exactly what his background was outside of league, but you generally don't expect someone like Mark to get in that position. So it's kind of a pleasant surprise from Riot slash the LCS's side to bring in someone like him into that position. And I'm very much looking forward to see what they can get done. Yeah, I agree with you on that take that when you think the word commissioner in general, you kind of think of a, a big guy in a suit is sort of what, what I envision as like the mental image. And Mark isn't really that guy to me. But on the other hand, I, I think I agree that he has been a guy that has been in touch with the fan base and he sort of thinks like a fan and at least at the beginning of his career here he should hopefully keep that kind of mentality where obviously not all of it might be exactly feasible but some of the changes he might have in mind will offer a fresh perspective at the very least and and should hopefully provide positive changes and one of those changes i don't know if this was his idea or him involved at all or who it was but they are shifting back to the weekends. That's the other piece of news there that Steve alluded to. And I think it's it's kind of, why didn't they do it sooner, really, is what, where I, what I would say. That the experiment, I guess, they wanted to take with pushing it to the weekdays obviously didn't pay off in the numbers. And I think a lot of us saw that coming. So bringing it back to the weekends when, even for me, it'll just be easier to watch, I think, is a is a good move in the right direction. I think the real question is why did they even change it in the first place? Like, yeah, people knew that that wasn't going to be the right decision. You know, I'm, I'm sure there even there had to have been even people in riot that are like, yeah, you know what? Like, this isn't going to be a, a good decision. But whatever, whatever quote data that they had that they believed that that was going to be the right move uh, clearly was wrong. Um, I don't know the exact numbers for viewership, but it was down uh, overall ac- across the splits. And yeah, just not the the brightest move from them. I'm not necessarily surprising. Uh, the riot has not been super consistent with making good decisions. That especially being one of them. I'm glad that they were able to bring it back at least quickly this season. I was not expecting it to happen in the middle, like in between spring and summer of last year. That's that's probably just not something that's feasible to do in that short of a time frame. But bringing it back the the very next year is probably the soonest that they could have done it. And I'm glad they did it. I'm sure that was something that they had in place before, Mark. That's, you know, probably something that they were talking about as the regular seasons ended. It's like, hey, like, viewership's clearly down. Like, there's no way that keeping it on on weekdays is going to work. Friday's not a bad day to have it necessarily, but Thursday is definitely not a good day to have it. If they wanted to do, like, Friday and Saturday, because I'm pretty sure it's, like, what the LEC does... That would be, um, or maybe LC, I think LEC's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday now, right? No, they used to do Friday, Saturday, two days, and now they shifted partially because of the LCS thing. They shifted to Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and oh, they are okay. keeping that for this upcoming year. That's what it was. I knew it was three days. Uh, it was yeah. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, okay. But yeah, like Friday, Saturday, like that would be fine, right? Because like Friday night, they'd had that like, you know experimental period where they had like Friday night league and Monday night league, um, and that stuff didn't quite 
work out too well for them either to try to make it like a special day or whatever um but like if they just did like friday and saturday too like i think that would be fine like saturday sunday friday saturday would be would be would be good just i don't get what made them think that thursday was a bright idea um especially because it's not like they're gonna just keep all of the good matches for friday you know they're gonna have to like keep it split up just of, of like how like scheduling and stuff has to be like they're not going to want to just completely tank thursday's games because they tank thursday's games and guess what even the lower amount of people that are going to be watching already is going to be even less um so you you got to put good games on thursday to try to incentivize people to watch but even then it's thursday night people have to work on on friday or thursday afternoon even people are going to be at work on thursday so it's just, it's just not a good idea i'm happy they got rid of it as quickly as they probably possibly could um and yeah, finally, we're going to be back on the weekends. I, I agree it took them long enough, but just wasn't a decision that they, they should have made in the first place. It just didn't make sense at all. And now we will get into the LCS roster discussion. That's what everyone loves in the off seasons. always. The best time of the year for me. I love seeing all the roster moves and the leaks coming out from people like at Shreep Esports and whatever. I love the off season. And we are going to get started with the reverse order of the LCS summer split from last year. So that will be the last place team, Immortals. A good bit of turnover from them. They now have Castle in the top lane. Armeo is going to be their jungler. Mask in the mid lane. Tactical did return uh, from last year's roster as their ADC when there was some speculation that he might not be coming back. And then Ole is going to be back in the LCS uh, at support, coming back uh, from last playing in 2022 on Golden Guardians. So this is still a roster that on the surface of it uh, does not seem that good. Uh, it's still probably going to be definitely bottom three. I'd, I'd say pretty comfortably, but I'd say most likely bottom two. Castle is a player that they brought in from KT Rolster Challengers. He's He was with them for three years from 2021 through 2023. Armeo is a, a solid veteran jungler. He's been around the LCS for a while. Mask is a Korean player who started originally under SKT's banner uh, in 2019 before moving to Hanwha Life uh, and KT Challengers for a couple of years. And then last year, he played on the Unicorns of Love Sexy Edition roster in the Prime League, which is the German European Regional League in Europe. Tactical, as I said before, returning uh, as their ADC from last year, and then Ole last played in the LCS in 2022 on Golden Guardians. None of these players were particularly uh, the best in their role. I think Mask was like kind of okay uh, with the Prime League, but overall, there's not a lot of impressive talent on the roster. Castle was was fine in uh, Challengers Korea. With, with these players coming over, you kind of expect just like a little bit of a bump to the team just in general because when, when you look at the, the Korean players or the Chinese players, their individual talent is just like a, a slight cut above, uh, you know, whatever talent you're going to have coming in as, as basically a rookie from the West. But still seeing this team kind of ranging from that second and third to bottom spots. Um, I'll let uh, Blue come in and chime in now, and then we'll probably get into more detailed uh, breakdowns of the players as we go along. But that's kind of a brief overall summary of the roster for Immortals for now. Yeah, so kind of as I alluded to earlier, I'm not entirely convinced that Immortals cares very much because to me, they once again put together a completely uninspiring roster. I think that this is... I don't even know if bottom three is does it justice. I think that they're probably going to be even worse than that. 
Like there's, to me, there's just no reason to be going to the middle or the bottom of international development leagues when you have all this talent within NA itself that should be getting a chance to develop and prove themselves. You're just wasting these import slots, wasting paychecks for no reason. All you've achieved really is installing a language barrier that has no reason to exist. Like unless you've got really solid intel on why this player needs to be on your team out of everybody else, I, I don't get the, the point of this. So kind of to, and this is a weird trend that I noticed, by the way, while I was doing my research. Castle comes directly from KT Challengers. Mask also sat in KT Challengers before he went to that UOL team. Ole as well was on KT Challengers for a while, or it was the Academy team back then because they rebranded, but it was the KT team as well. So I don't know if Immortals has some direct line to KT and that's why they decided on all these players, but it's just weird and doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of winning the whole thing. It, it, I don't, I don't take a lot of inspiration from this and I don't think that they're going to perform all that well. Yeah. That was actually a point that I was going to bring up uh, when we got done with Dignitas uh, a bit later on, but since you, since you addressed it now, yeah. Um, teams like Immortals and Dignitas who have been at the bottom for a while, Dignitas like last year, I believe it was in spring. They took a chance on their Academy 80 carry spawn, uh, he didn't pan out, and they, they at least did bring up Tomo as their AD carry for summer last year, and he still wasn't that great, but those guys were both North American talents. Um, both of those teams, especially, do kind of seem to have that, whatever you want to call it, I think you said a trend of bringing in, like, you know, just average, about maybe slightly below average talent from, whether it be Korea or China, mostly Korea, and plugging them into their roster and they probably i'd assume what they would just expect is that the raw talent as i said before probably having like a slight upgrade over what you would get out of a western player would be enough to make a difference in terms of you know maybe just being an overall better player but as you mentioned it's not really enough to to help you win the lcs like these teams have always been perennially towards the bottom of the league and you would like to see them take more chances on North American talent. At least, like I said, Dig did do that with uh, their AD carry position. But yeah, like bringing in Castle and Mask, as I said, they're fine players. If uh, to talk about Castle a little bit, he's nothing uh, super special. He seems to play Nar and Gragas and Gwen the most. Uh, from his most played champions over the course of his career. He ended up splitting time in summer split. Uh, not even really a split of time. He, he basically got replaced um, by Perfect in the summer split on KT Challengers. Castle only played five games with them in summer. Um, and for most of these new players that came in, basically what I tried to do is I went on to Oracle's Elixir, so shout out to them. They have a lot of stats and stuff for players that you can track in teams as well. Uh, not all the stats are available for all of the leagues sometimes, but for the most part, I look at you know the lane differential stats that they have, like the CSD at like 10, the experience difference, gold difference at 10. I look at you know, KDAs and stuff like that just to get kind of like a surface level understanding because with stats in professional league, you've got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's a lot better to watch all the games if you can but that's you know usually pretty impossible to watch every single league's games um, so I, I look at that and then I, I pick a couple of games to to watch I usually try to pick a game where they had a really standout performance that was good and a really standout performance that was bad to kind of at least see them at their extremes um, 
And even in the extreme games, I mean, for Castle, which I guess you can kind of take as good and bad, he didn't really stand out. There wasn't really anything uh, super special about him that I noticed uh, watching his gameplay. So you're just kind of, again, bringing in an average talent up there. Uh, Mask, again, same kind of thing. He had um, some, you know, pretty traditional uh, mid lane picks, had a lot of Azir, a lot of Oriana, Jace, Ari, LeBlanc, standard stuff, uh, which is not necessarily unsurprising, right? Because that's the meta champs that you're, you're, you're going to be picking most of the time. Um, but he had the third lowest kill participation in the summer split for mids. Uh, in the Prime League, watching a couple, a couple games that I did, he made some really simple mistakes, like face-checking bushes, like, there was a fight that I was watching where they, the fight basically just ended, and he knew that there was, or at least he should have known, that there was still an enemy in that bush where he was running away from, but then he just turned around on, like, relatively low health back towards that bush, and surprise, surprise, the enemy was still in there, and he got killed. Um, he wasn't respecting uh, some roams that were happening a couple times. There was a game against Movie Star Riders that I was watching where, again, it seemed like he should have been able to know that there was going to be a roam uh, coming up top lane from a couple people that were kind of leaving uh, towards the topside jungle, and he just didn't respect it enough, and he got killed for free on the roam. Um, so for both of those guys, I'm not really expecting anything great out of them. Hopefully they'll be good at best. Um, getting to Armeo now, as I said before, he's a solid veteran jungler. He played on Evil Geniuses and their Challengers team uh, as well last year in 2023. He was uh, second in kill participation in the LCS summer last year. Um, but again, like he's 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 been around for so long, and he hasn't showed any you know real kind of greatness to be like a top jungler in the region. He's a fine resident jungler, but he's not really going to be able to elevate a roster around him, which especially on a team like Immortals is going to be uh, a problem. Tactical coming back, he was he was better last year than he has been before. He actually had a, a relatively decent year. He was third in kill participation amongst 80 carries in the league. He had the highest first blood percentage as well, so he clearly was getting uh, some resources bot lane as he also led the entire LCS in kill share percentage, which basically means the uh, percentage of the team of your team's kills that you're getting over the course of, of a game he was getting the most amount of kills on his team across any of the lcs teams uh, for the entire summer split and he was dealing also 30 percent of immortals total damage in a game which is a little bit more i think from what i saw based off of some of the other uh people uh, that were in the carry positions as well so he was getting a lot of resources on immortals but overall he's still just not that great of an 80 carry he had the lowest kda for 80 carries in summer as well at 2.7 uh, for his kda so He's still just like a fine player. He's still going to be a bottom end 80 carry. Uh, at least we would expect that, even though he did have a slightly better year last year in some of his stats uh, than others. And then another question mark in Ole, where he's been around the scene for a long time now. He's had a couple years off here and there in between seasons. As I said, he did not play last year. He last played in 2022 on Golden Guardians. He's mostly a tank player. Over his career, he has 66 Thresh games and then 45 on Alistar. He does have 43 games on Morgana as well to kind of show that he does he does you know play the range supports and stuff, but he's more so a, a tanky kind of uh, engaged support player. So with Ole 2, I was definitely surprised that they brought him on. The one thing that I do have on him is that he did play with Immortals in 2017. That's like six years ago now. I can't believe that. But he does have some history with the org, and he does seem like a nice enough person to have around. So if you just want to bring in a guy who can 
maybe provide some leadership. He is a veteran. Uh, he's also Korean, so can maybe help Mask and Castle get along, as you mentioned, with that KT Challengers link, which I didn't know about with Ole as well. So there are like a couple of reasons to, you know, maybe bring him in just from like a team building perspective, but as an actual quality player with him not having played last year and as well as not having played in 2021 either before that uh, stint on Golden Guardians, we'll have to really see what we end up getting out of him there. Overall, uh, to kind of wrap up my thoughts on Immortals, as, as you said, I'd expect them to be bottom three for sure. Um, I, I would say most likely bottom two, but I, in, in a world where like Castle and Mask come over and they actually do play pretty good, maybe Tactical continues to improve, I would put, again, just theoretically, I would put their ceiling at fifth, uh, which is still the bottom half of the league. But just in, 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 a, in a perfect world where things really go right for them and maybe some of the other teams that are, that are kind of volatile or unexperienced falter, maybe they can finish as high as fifth. Yeah, and I will say that me bringing up the KT thing is more of a narrative thing because, you know, I'm a, their narrative guy, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. But th th that is something. Yeah, and like to be fair, though, the, none of these three players were ever on that team together, so I don't think that synergy necessarily exists. I will mention that. Mask and Castle were. They did have a year together on KT oh, Challengers. Okay. Only one year, but yeah, they were together once. Well, that's noteworthy, at least. But Ole, in perspective, is sort of a fossil like relatively speaking, because he was on that team back in like 2013 or 2014. So, you know, the, the guy's 29 at this point, he has yet to really stand out at any point in time, I think. So I'm not very confident on him. Like it makes no sense to me. They removed treats for this guy, but I guess they had to make room for their two random imports. So we picked Ole, I guess, but, and then the big sin to me is that they kept tactical. Like, I understand that his stats maybe looked better, but when I think tactical, I think of the tactical Tristana ints where he randomly jumps into three people, he's completely alone, and just dies. There's no sense behind it. I don't see the logic behind it, but he does it, and that's the play that I know him for. And I think that this guy, he looked okay on TL when he was there, but you have to take into account that he played with CoreJJ. He can make anybody look good, I think. So... Not a lot of faith I have in this guy. They chose to rebuild around him, Immortals did. But I, I just don't see a lot of potential for this roster. I'm going to be a lot lower on them. I think my ceiling for them is 7th. And then my expectation is honestly 8th. That's that's where I'd put them. Yeah, that that sounds pretty fair. And um, the one thing I do want to say with Tacticals, it, it would be interest, I would be interested to know if Immortals may be in on like Meech or Masu, a couple AD carries that were picked up from the challengers seen by some other LCS teams. Um, so I, I want to know if they maybe had interest in someone like that and they decided to just go to what is, should widely be considered as better organizations than Immortals. Um, but that would have been that would be something that would be cool to know is if they did have some interest in people like that or maybe even some other challengers league ADCs. Um, Tactical is not my biggest problem with them by far, but yeah, it's just, it's just it's the story of Immortals, right? Like they're never gonna be able to to pick up the top talent from NA or probably top talent from anywhere, so they kind of just have to scrape together what they can. Which in that case, again, I don't necessarily mind Tactical, but it would be 
more fun for them and maybe even Dignitas too to take better chances on some NA players just to see if you can get something out of them. Because at the very least, you'll win some more fan support locally in the region from doing that rather than, you know, bringing in guys like Castle and Mask who weren't really standouts even in their own leagues. Um, so not it's, it's hard to justify importing players from other regions when they're not even really able to stand out in those leagues that they were in in the first place. You're just kind of hoping that, you know, maybe since they have, like, you know, the maybe since they are Korean or they've played in, you know, like the Korean Challengers League or something like that before, that maybe there's some inherent advantage there, but that's not necessarily the case. So now we will transition out of Immortals. That was We spent way too much time talking about Immortals for how, good, for how good they are. But uh, anyways, we're going to get into a team that should be pretty good this year. We said that about them last year after their collapse and summer split, not even making the playoffs in summer last year, which is really hard to do because eight teams made it into the summer playoffs last year. FlyQuest finished ninth in the summer split with a very hyped roster that is now completely turned over. All five positions are different. Bwipo is going to be their new top laner. He last played in the league in 2022 on Team Liquid also as their top laner. He's had some moments in his career when he was in Europe that he played jungle, but he's back as a top laner for Team uh, for FlyQuest, excuse me. Inspired is going to be in the jungle. He last played on Evil Geniuses uh, all for all of 2022 as well as 2023 spring, but he was not with the team team in summer. Jensen is going to be their mid laner. He was on Dignitas last year before having long careers uh, with C9 and Team Liquid before that. Masu is going to be their AD carry. He is one of the uh, Challenger League AD carries that I was referencing before that was brought up by FlyQuest. He was on their Challengers team uh, last year and looked pretty solid. And then Busio is going to be their support. He was on 100 Thieves last year. He ended up playing under Doublelift for the entire season, who obviously one of the best 80 carries North America has ever seen, if not the best 80 carry and the best player that North America has ever seen. That hopefully was a good year for Busio in terms of learning. He didn't have the most standout performance last year as a rookie, but hopefully with year two, he's going to be in an even better position now on FlyQuest with a lot of talent around him. Uh, and this should be a good and very uh, exciting team to watch heading into next season. Yeah, this squad is the polar opposite of IMT, and I cannot stress that enough. Like, yes, they are coming off that catastrophic implosion year. But as an EU fan especially, I'm going to be a Fly supporter this year since this is our successful infiltration of the LCS. Not only do we have Bwipo in the top lane from Europe, we have Inspired in the jungle from Europe. We have Jensen, which I'm going to count as a token European player, even though most of his career was in NA. And then they also have Nukeduck coming over to coach, also a e former EU player uh, that had that year with 100 Thieves and now is going to be coaching for FlyQuest. So this is Team EU in the LCS. They're going to win, and EU is going to be better than NA, even domestically. There you go. Okay. You can tone it, you can tone it down a little <laughs> bit there, buddy. You can, you, you can relax a little bit. Um, but th this will be a good team, right? Like, uh, Busio, I don't think you didn't even mention the Canadian connection with Busio, right? Oh, no, that's also bonus points that they've got Canadians and I think Masu as well. I'm, I'm not going to say 100% certainty there, but he might be Canadian. So, yeah, it's, it's Canadian and European. So, huge bonus points for me, brownie points. <laughs> this guy this guy's so weird um but yeah <laughs> it will it will be a good team you know um there are going to be some question marks uh 
I mean, I, I was going to say just on a couple players, or probably basically over the entire roster, there will be question marks. Bwipo, as I mentioned before, didn't play at all last year. Uh, professionally, he streamed and stuff and did content with Team Liquid, but did not play pro. He spent four years with Fnatic in Europe before that, mostly as a top laner. Overall, in his career, he has... Uh, his most played champion is actually Gangplank, which I was very surprised to see, but that that's very cool because that's a, a champion that he seems very well suited for. Orn was his second most played and then Aatrox uh, third. But he's one of those players that, who kind of showing with the Gangplank, can play basically anything he wants top lane. He's had a, a very good career for the most part. He, he's had um, some moments of you know, fans drawing criticism as, as at him, but who hasn't uh, at this point in, in the League of Legends space? He was fourth in KDA amongst top laners in 2022 summer. His laning stats were very good. They were all uh, the best uh, at the 10-minute mark with gold differential, CS differential, and XP differential. Um, and he's not just trying to look to get back in the swing of things after being a content creator for Team Liquid last year. He should be, and I would expect him to be, one of the best top laners in the league, most likely uh, top two, hopefully. Um, he should have some still pretty stiff competition with the likes of Impact and Fudge still around. Um, he has super solid just uh, game knowledge, understanding of the game. If you listen to the guy talk in interviews and stuff, he's very knowledgeable. And he plays uh, the game super, at a super high level as well as shown by those laning stats. Um, not his best years with Team Liquid. That Team Liquid roster had their, their fair share of moments as well in 2022. Um, but again, looking to step back in and, and reclaim his spot as one of the best top laners. Not even just in NA, but in the West in general, hopefully for him. Inspired, again, had to take uh, the, the time off, uh, we'll say that, in EG for summer. Uh, also a, a European player. He was on Rogue uh, in Europe before coming over to North America. Can, similar to Bwipo, can kind of just play whatever he wants in the jungle. He's very skilled, uh, very well respected as one of the, the best uh, junglers in the West. Now, the one thing about him is that he is an NA resident now. I don't believe Bwipo is. Um, no, I, I, it, was, it was Inspired that got the green card, yep. Yeah, Inspired just got his green card, so he is a resident now. Uh, so he, he does not take up one of the two import slots uh, for this team, so that is very uh, good for them. And it should be, uh, again, looking uh, to reclaim his spot as one of the best uh, junglers in the region in the West. A little bit uh, stiffer competition for him than Whippo in top lane with Blabber, River, the hopeful resurgence of contracts or the continued resurgence of contracts. Uh, and then maybe even uh, one of the junglers that was brought in from Team Liquid, Umti from Korea. We'll see if he has the, the stuff to kind of keep up maybe in a different region. Um, but so a little bit more for Inspired to deal with, but he is on that same kind of level as Bwipo in terms of being in Europe for a while, playing super well in Europe, then being brought over to North America and still, for the most part, keeping up his form. Um, so now it'll just be a, uh, another chance to reestablish that. Jensen was on Dignitas last year as their mid laner, uh, and, and like most people who go to Dignitas, he did not have a good year with Dignitas last year, but that's... You can, you can kind of easily blame that as just a symptom of being on Dignitas rather than him actually playing bad himself, even though it, it was still not a good individual year for him. 
Uh, overall, in his career, he's been around for a long time, as I said, with C9 and with Team Liquid. You know what you're going to get out of Jensen, for the most part. He's he's a more than reliable player in the mid lane who still is capable of carrying games. Uh, he's not what he was back then in those days when he was winning titles with C9 and TL, but he's still primed for a bounce-back season with a much better roster around him. Uh, we'll get into... Uh, Masu and Busio, who are some of the younger players on the team now, as again, Masu will be a rookie coming up from Challengers, Busio will be in his second year, but the talent uh, of them should still be an improvement over uh, what he was playing with on Dignitas last year, so I'm very excited to see if Jensen can bounce back in a better environment. And getting into Masu now, again, FlyQuest Challengers AD carry, he won the most valuable prospect in the summer split for the NA Champ uh, Challengers League last year. He, generally speaking, plays, you know, standard AD carries as usual. He does have a few games on Ziggs and Karthus uh, from the NACL, so that is fun. It's cool to see the, the traditional AD carries, you know, get branched out of into things like Ziggs or Karthus or, you know, stuff that's less traditional, maybe even like a Yasuo or a Seraphine, something like that. He definitely seemed very good from the few games that I watched. His spacing was solid in team fights. He was very fluid uh, and seemed to nowhere to be for the most part have good decision making in the fights overall he was only sixth uh, in terms of kda which again takes stats like that with a grain of salt but um, for comparison uh, he did have you know sixth kda he had less kills and more deaths uh, than meech who will be another 80 carry we'll be talking about soon brought up from the uh, challengers league but he was third in uh, damage per minute, so he was able to dish out a lot of damage uh, compared to the rest of the AD carries. And the eye test did look a lot better uh, from the stats that I saw. Again, I'm only watching a few games, but he looked better than what uh, his stats told me. So I'm optimistic for now. Um, and unlike if he were on a team like Immortals, uh, where we talked about tactical, his play should be able to be uh, elevated by the talent around him, which should be a good boost for him. There's not going to have to probably be a ton of pressure on him, because he should be enabled well by the likes of Inspired and Jensen, and hopefully Busio, his support as well, who was learning under Doublelift last year. Uh, not a great debut season for him. And he seems to be more of a uh, tank or a playmaker support than the Enchanters based off of his most played. But listening to some talks with the guy, that whether it's on streams uh, with someone like LS or in interviews and stuff, he seems like the kind of player who is still very, very flexible. He can probably play whatever he wants to. Um, like I said, he was fine last year. He was bottom three in assists uh, on the 100 Thieves for a summer split, but that was just a team that had some, some pretty big changes going on at times and was up and down. So you would have liked to have seen a more consistent environment for him than he ended up getting on 100 Thieves, but seeing him paired with uh, an 80 carry like Masu should be fun. As I said, they're both very young uh, and are looking to just continue getting experience in the league. There was some hype for Abusio that he didn't quite live up to last year, hopefully with maybe a little bit kind of lessened expectations, uh, but being on a better team, uh, there will be more room for him to solidify himself as one of the better supports in the league and hopefully continue that for many years to come. So I think you did a very good job of running the whole thing down, so I'm going to focus on my highlights, and I've got two of them. Number one is Whippo in that top lane. I think that in NA, he hasn't really had the chance to demonstrate what he's really made of. I think that that TL year was pretty much an underperformance across the board, and you can liken that to big personalities clashing, or maybe the environment wasn't good. I don't really know what to blame it on, 
but I don't think that his form on TL was what you would expect from a player of his caliber. And I fully expect that despite that year off, I think that he's going to be easily top three tops in the league, possibly even the best, depending on how, how well Impact does and how well Fudge does. Those are his two main competitors. But I do think he will be at minimum top three, potentially even the best. And the main reason for that is that I've always considered him as one of the rare players that has sort of a great mind for the game. Like maybe his play might not be as huge as some other players might show, but he he sort of talks a lot about the the lane matchups and how you trade and things like that, as well as the larger scale macro of the game. Like you mentioned, he had that one one split, I believe, that he swapped to jungle for Fnatic to bring in Adam. And this was in the middle of the year, by the way, and he proved himself to be top three in that role in the LCS, LEC. Excuse me. So I think that this guy has just got a huge mind for the game. Even if he, on an individual level, doesn't perform very well, I think that he's going to bring a lot to the team in terms of developing your skills and developing teamwork and things like that. So huge hopes for him from me. And then the other one was Masu down in the bot lane. As you mentioned, big prospect. He won that title as the most anticipated prospect. And I think that it's very much deserved because A, from a bit of research, I gathered that he's mainly known for his really strong team fighting in the mid to late game, which I think in the NA environment is very important. You'll see a lot of games end up going to those team fights. So being able to perform there if he doesn't get stage fright is going to be huge. And then he's also demonstrated a huge champ pool. Now, whether that'll transition into the main league, we have yet to see, of course, but he's played pretty much all of the meta AD carries, some of the off-meta ones, and then I even saw games in his match history on things like Ziggs, Karthus, even Kogma, which weren't really around much in that last year, and he played them anyway and was able to win on all three. So, again, the narrative's there that this is an EU team, kind of, and I also think that the, the composition of players here is really good, so I've got a lot of hype for this team myself. Yeah, I have them finishing uh, probably most likely between second and fourth. I do think that first uh, is a possibility. I think there's going to be you know some, some good competition for first place, hopefully, and they will definitely be one of the teams in the mix. If things don't quite go so well, because I still do think uh, that this team does have some big personalities on it, you know, still with, with Bowen Inspired and Jensen. I mean, you, you brought that up as something that was probably a symptom of, or one of the reasons why things went wrong on TL a bit with Bwipo. There still is kind of that thing, so I'm pretty sure that Jensen was on that team with Bwipo and TL, if I remember correctly. And then Inspired is still a guy who seems, you know, to probably have some strong opinions as well. So if things, you know, do go poorly, maybe some there's some clashing going on. Maybe Masu and Busio don't quite live up to things. I see them, the probably the, the absolute lowest they could go would be fifth but I'd say most likely probably second and fourth. Yeah, so I'm trying to keep it a little tighter just to be, you know, got to have that highlight in the podcast. But my ceiling for them is going to be first. I think they have the potential to win, even if I'm not entirely confident it will happen. And then their floor for me would be third. I think that they're good enough to be locked in that top three unless something goes horribly wrong. And that, that's what I'll put them for now. Yep, all checks out to me. 
and now we will get into 100 Thieves, which is going to be probably a, a pretty exciting team to watch still, uh, despite them losing uh, Bjergsen and Doublelift at the end of spring and summer splits, respectively, who have both decided to retire after very long and impressive careers in North America. Their new roster is... Again, completely different uh, from last year's, as, as well as FlyQuest was. In the top lane is going to be Sniper. You might know him as General Sniper if you've been around the scene for a little while. He's been a super hyped up prospect for years now. Um, he's mainly known as a carry top laner, uh, kind of like, uh, I believe it's his, it was his brother, Viper, uh, who's been in the LCS before as well. I'm pretty sure they're brothers. They are. Um, not to be confused with the Chinese Viper, though. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not yeah. him. The, the, the LCS top laner Viper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's been around for a while as a prospect, super hyped up kid. I think C9 tried to sign him as a part of their organization like a few years ago, but like the LCS stepped in and said like they couldn't do that because he was so young. He was only like 13 or 14 at the time, something like that. Um, so he's been around for a while. He was under 100 Thieves, I believe, uh, for uh, a couple years now, and now he's finally going to be getting the chance. Uh, in the top lane at the professional level, not like he's going to be old enough to play. River is coming over from Golden Guardians. He was a, a pretty highly regarded jungler uh, last year, even before that when he was playing on Dignitas. I think people still did think uh, relatively highly of him, but he was finally on that Golden Guardians team last year, which were able to take it to the next level, and River absolutely did as well. Quid uh, is staying from actually Quid actually is a, is a carryover uh, from last year. That's my bad. He was on uh, Hundred Thieves last year as their mid laner. He was a Korean player that came in from Genji Academy. He was on them for three years before debuting with Hundred Thieves in the LCS last year. Meech is that other AD carry from Challengers. He was on CLG Challengers last year for the Spring Split, and then he played on the Disguised Toast team uh, for the Summer Split of Challengers, and he ended up winning. Uh, challengers with that disguised toast team in summer and then ayla is going to be their support he was a rookie last year brought up from team liquid academy who played on FlyQuest in the spring split who's and he ended up splitting some time with uh, their, their other support that they had winsome and then he moved to eg for the summer split last year and was their full-time support for for them uh, in summer split so this is a team that is is incredibly young uh, outside of River. Sniper is only 17 now. Meech isn't, uh, I don't think he's a teenager, but he's going to be a rookie uh, coming into this. He's a little over 20. Ayla, again, not necessarily, I don't think he's a teenager either, but only going to be his second year in the league. Quid is a teenager, I believe. I believe he's 19, maybe going on 20. It's going to be his second year. River is the only guy here who has a lot of experience playing in pro, so he's going to have a lot of pressure on him to kind of be that leader, whether he was a good one or not on Golden Guardians. I don't necessarily know who know what their roles were in terms of like shot calling and stuff. It was probably either him or who he, um, but he seems like the, the, the kind of person just from, you know, watching his personality and stuff from just the outside, not being associated with the league or anything. He seems like the kind of person who could do a good job in that role if he wasn't doing it already. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these other players, Sniper, Quid, Meech, and Ayla, they're going to have a lot to prove. It's going to be a very raw team that has a ton of potential on it, but I would not be surprised if they came out to a slow start to start spring, especially. Yeah. So I echo a lot of that sentiment. The, the youth of this roster was something that I noticed, and I think it will, at least in the beginning, prove to their detriment. And so this will be kind of a unique team for me in that my ranking for them specifically for spring is not going to be what I expect from them 
in the whole year when you put summer into the equation. So I think they will probably have that slow start, as you say. That lack of experience is very much relevant, despite the caliber of players that you might have individually. They're going to need that time to mesh, need that time to build an environment on what's going to work for them, what isn't, who's going to be the carry, who isn't, that kind of stuff. Uh, but that being said, there is a lot of hype to be had. I think Sniper especially, he was a guy that popped up as a 13-year-old challenger way back when that a lot of people took notice of. He started playing with some of the influencers and he was known for his uh, Riven gameplay. So yes, very much a carry player that liked to pop off and carry. Uh, Quid as well, he demonstrated that he has enough potential to gather some hype from fans at the very minimum. And of course, the org decided to use him as the centerpiece for this new roster coming over from last year. So they have faith in him. And then Ayla as well was part of pre-implosion FlyQuest, which ironically enough, I thought Vulcan was an upgrade, but I guess the team did worse when Ayla left. So take what you will from that. And then Meech as well. Very similar to Masu, those are the two guys from Challengers being promoted that I have my eye on. That maybe he's not quite on the caliber of Masu, but he did, of course, win the Challenger League and, again, happens to be a Canadian, which I'm loving. So, a lot to expect from them in terms of development. I'm really glad to see that one of these teams in the league is taking a risk in that sense. They're going to focus on the local talent, see what they can do with that, whether they end up on other teams and start careening off as some of the top players or whether it turns out to be a failed experiment i think it's commendable that they are using local talent for the most part and let's see what they can do with that yeah and hopefully that they will get the time to you know develop and and actually like learn how to play at the lcs level we saw with tenacity on 100 thieves in spring of last year they were very quick uh to move on from him and you know it was his rookie split in spring he wasn't doing the best for sure now maybe part of that was maybe because they were thinking that they're just going to use sniper next year anyways but it was very surprising when they got rid of tenacity after just that one split uh, and, and he did not play uh in pro and he's, he was not picked up by a professional team in the lcs this year either um so again maybe that was just uh because they had sniper but I hope that they are patient with these younger players. They're they're clearly being patient with Quid, because uh, Quid, uh, I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit out of order here to start with him. He was not particularly impressive uh, in summer last year. He was the guy who ended up replacing Bjergsen in the mid lane when he retired after spring. He ended up playing uh, eight Azir games, by far his most played on the split, then he had four Jace games and three games on Tristana and Ari. Uh, he did not, like I said, stand out really at all. I think I think a lot of people were surprised that of all the people that could have been brought back uh, from last year's roster, that he was the one and the only one who was brought back. He had the second lowest KDA for mid laners in summer split. His uh, laning differentials, as I've said, the CSD, the XP differential, the gold differential at 10 were basically neutral at best. Um... So not a ton of impressive stuff on the stats, and even, again, doing the eye test, uh, it was not that impressive either. He is only 19, uh, so hopefully there is still some major room to improve there, because at least for this season, I would I would guess at least maybe to be a little bit uh, on the safe side that he's going to be the the only real player that you might have like some real confidence in carrying. Like Obviously, we'll have to see how good Meech does as a 
as a rookie, he is the AD carry, so he's probably going to be in line to be the main person. But being a rookie, uh, there, there, there could be, you know, the chance for some either jitters early on, or maybe he just doesn't adjust in time. Uh, you know, some of these players who are hyped up, they don't necessarily always work out. Obviously, uh, hopefully, Meech is not one of them. But Quid being the uh, the most experienced, I'll say, carry player out of this roster, because River is not really one. Uh, to, to carry he's much more of a you know tanky uh jungler player supportive jungler player enabling the people around him there might be a bit more pressure on on quid than usual to to have strong performances uh if guys like him sniper don't adjust early um so you're, you're definitely going to be hoping to see some improvement out of him i think we've talked enough about sniper but yeah super young carry player um he was not uh the best uh, top laner in the NACL where he played in spring last year for 100 Thieves. He did not play in summer because there was a rule change that Riot ended up doing with the LCS teams that they were complaining about running their academy teams because they weren't uh, they were spending too much money on them or they, they felt like the investment wasn't good enough on the academy teams. So basically all of the academy teams on the LCS teams were just dropped except for a couple of them, 100 Thieves being one of them. Uh, so he did not play in summer. Uh, but in spring, he was top five in KDA for top laners, but he had the second lowest kill participation. Um, and he was uh, bottom three in uh, golden XP differential at 10 minutes for his lanes. All of his lane differential stats were in the negatives. Um, so it wasn't a super uh, strong year for him in the NACL, but he's still going to be super exciting to watch regardless just because of all the previous hype around him. I mentioned it with River again, a super solid jungler, but not really a carry threat. He's much more of a supportive or a tank player in the jungle. Uh, maybe he can play a different style uh, now that he might be on a team that might maybe needs a little bit more of uh, insurance uh, than, than normal, but he is a super solid jungler. He was second in KDA in summer, only behind Blabber, second in first blood percentage, so he was able you know, to find the right times to gank early on and get his team first blood and get them started off on the right foot. He has, a, generally speaking, a very good feel for the game, where to be on the map, uh, fighting around objectives, knowing where to be, tracking an enemy jungler, etc. He's not as flashy as someone like Blabber is, who is probably the best jungler in the league, um, but he seems like, again, the type of person that you would want to have on a team like this where hopefully he can be a leader and enable a lot of this young talent to succeed. Uh, and then we'll go into the bot lane with Meech. Again, was uh, in the NACL last year, had 24 games on Zaya, 18 games on Aphelios, then only 9 games on Lucian for his most played, so a pretty big drop-off there. But Zaya and Aphelios were obviously very meta champions. Masu and him were two of the best 80 carries in the NACL that year. Last year, he was second in KDA overall, um, as well as tied to lead all of the NACL in kills with 193 kills. A lot of his stats uh, seemed to check out better than Masu's, but he does seem to have a little bit more issues with things like positioning. Not, ne not necessarily that he's bad at it. He's still relatively good. He's just probably like not quite uh, on Masu's level. Again, just from what I saw and watched, which is only like a, a, lim a very limited sample of games. So I've, I've heard listening uh, to, you know, talks and streams of um, talking about people like Masu and Meech that they both are very good and they both are generally speaking uh, pretty good at positioning better than some of the other AD carry talent that's come through the NACL but again just from what I saw it seems like Masu might be a little bit better but hopefully both of those guys are able to stick around for a while and be promising NA80 carry talent uh, and just be good players because NA needs to show that they have some good players so maybe 
Other organizations will take more chances on NA talent. And then Ayla to, to round out the roster. He did pretty well in summer split with Evil Geniuses. He led the LCS in assists. Um, but the the spring split roster on FlyQuest was uh, was good. The laning stats uh, have not been as good, generally speaking. But with supports, again, you know, just not being really a, a laning role as much sometimes. It's kind of hard to, you know, you know, take that stuff super seriously. So again, grain of salt on stats. Well, when you watch him play, he does seem to be pretty good. He can play the the entire variety of supports. Uh, you saw that not a, a ton last year, generally speaking, because uh, Enchanters were more in the meta, but you watched his time with Team Liquid Academy a couple years ago, and he was playing all the supports that you could possibly want him to play, which is good. So hoping to see him continue to improve in another full year in the LCS. Hopefully he will be full-time on FlyQuest. Uh, he wasn't quite full-time in Spring Split with Fly... Uh, uh, Hopefully he will be full-time with 100 Thieves here. He was not quite full-time in Spring Split with FlyQuest. Um, but a lot of potential here with a bunch of young talent that's still going to be looking to improve and show why they deserve to keep a spot in the LCS. My likely range for this team is, I'd say, 4-6. to six. Um, Maybe there's a world where they can sneak up to third if, you know, Sniper is him and... You know, Meech and, and Ayla can prove to be a super strong bot lane. I'd say four to six is probably where I would put them to start out. So again, very good rundown on the individuals. The one thing that I will mention that I think will be their main challenge coming into spring as they sort of learn how to mesh together is that I think they have an overload of carry players. Now, I'll, I'll kind of go down the list here. So Meech, of course, is a carry player because what else do you play in that role other than maybe i guess seraphine he kind of has to be a carry so he'll be a carry player then you got sniper who obviously in his solo queue days loved that riven loved to play the carry style you got quid who say what you will about his abilities likes to favor those carry style champions and might be the guy they rely on at the beginning as the rookies find their footing and then river as well which I know you mentioned that he seems to favor tanks. That's if you specifically look at his time in the LCS. He's been put a lot on Sejuani duty and that kind of thing, but I think that that's more a product of the meta. If you kind of zoom out and go back to his pre-NA days, he bounced around between the Japanese League and the uh, PCS, uh, the Pacific League. So in those days, he seemed to play a lot more of like Graves, Elise, Kindred, or uh, Belveth, now that she came out, he played a bit of that. So I think that he, at his core, is also a carry player. He's demonstrated he can play tanks, which will be an asset here, but I think he favors carries. So a big challenge, a big hurdle, if you will, for this team to overcome is going to be to decide who is best at carrying, who deserves the resources and can do the most with them, and who's going to kind of have to take a back seat and learn to play with less resources because you don't really have a weak side inherently here, and someone's obviously going to have to do it. You can't have full resources going all over the place. So it might be a good thing if they identify that win conditions can come from anywhere, and within the game they'll sort of figure it out. But again, that'll be a test of adaptability and a learning experience at the very least for some of these younger players. So if they can overcome that, I think that I have high expectations for the team and hope to see them do well. It'll be a testament to the fact that NA can produce good talent. But if we're isolating just the spring split as they kind of find their footing and get into the swing of things, 
My floor for them is going to be seventh. I don't think they they should finish last, but they might kind of fail and bomb out and end up seventh. And then my ceiling for them, again, for spring specifically, is going to be fifth. I don't think they're going to be able to break in the top four, but maybe they can. I'll, I'll kind of leave it between fifth and seventh for the spring split. I think you make a good point with that, uh, you know, someone needs to end up playing like weak side or have limited resources. Um, and traditionally speaking, we know that usually happens to the top laner, but we've spent this entire podcast, and again, if you've been following Sniper or hearing about him from the scene for a few years now, he is very much a carry player. Not a lot of tank games that I saw from the NACL under his belt. Now, naturally speaking, if you are going to be like a true successful player in the league, you will have to have that inherent adaptability of being willing to, you know, take less resources every now and then in, in any role, not even just top lane, but in top lane, especially where the the main purpose of that role is not to be a carry, generally speaking, you will very often end up playing tanks in the top lane. Uh, and you're really not going to be playing, you know, obviously not going to be being, being playing tanks, ID carry. Uh, mid lane, you know, there are the proper, you know, situations for that, you know, or if you play a supported mid laner, maybe like Alio or something like that. Or sometimes tanks do have been ended up playing mid before, like Cassante, which is, you know, is, is a tank, you know, but he's Cassante and then Orn's been played mid before. Um, so you, you can find the spots for it there. So it, it is going to be very interesting to see what happens because you would expect it to be top lane. But I feel like that even could have been a problem with Tenacity. Was that Tenacity was in that similar kind of mold too. He was much more so a carry player than a tank player. I don't, I'm not going to act like I remember his split that, that well in terms of detail, but I don't feel like I remember him getting a lot of resources in terms of like really being able to, you know, progress or, or build leads or push leads that he might have found. Um, so that maybe, you know, hopefully isn't a mistake that gets repeated with someone like Sniper. But it's going to have to come from somewhere. You're exactly right. Like, it's not just going to be like maybe River is forced on, you know, a tank because of everyone else. And then he's going to be the only guy that's going to be playing, you know, tank or be playing a weaker role, not non-carrying role. There's going to have to be someone who gives it up. Now, maybe they'll have to split it between like Sniper and Quid. Or if one of those guys is clearly performing weaker than the other over the course of a split, then maybe you kind of determine it, determine it that way based off of like results. But that is a very good point because someone is going to have to surrender resources. And I think that that could actually be a problem with C9, which we will get to talk about them in the next episode, not in this one. But I think that could be a similar issue with C9 as well, where they've, they've brought in uh, Jojo Pion mid lane. They have Berserker, who is a very good AD carry. Both of those guys can command a lot of resources. And Fudge is, is a good weak side player. He's a very good top laner, but he likes to, you know, be able to carry games still sometimes too. He has those picks, uh, you know, like his Fiora or his Jax on the top lane often enough that he can command resources too in, in, in NA. So I think that could be a, a similar issue there, but obviously C9 much a much better team projected to be a much better team, and they, they, they should be able to figure that out if they want to be able to, to you know continue to perform at that high a level. But yeah, it's a great point to make about 100 Thieves, because that is something that I, that I noted too, I, I did not bring it up. So I'm glad that you did. 
So now we will jump into the final team we'll be talking about in this first part of the roster breakdown that will be Dignitas. We've kind of lumped them in with Immortals uh, throughout a lot of this episode, so you kind of might have some early inklings on our opinions on, on them through that. Uh, they did bring back a couple of their players from last year. First of all, is their top laner Rich? Uh, he ended up uh, being a very good Heroes of the Storm player. He ended up uh, having this title like basically the faker of Heroes of the Storm. Uh, so he came to Dignitas in, in summer uh, of last year from uh, the LPL. Uh, maybe not necessarily ironically enough, but weirdly enough, he's a, he is a Korean, but he ended up playing in the LPL uh, before coming over to NA. He was not uh, that impressive in North America. I feel like some of the fans do have like a, a liking to him. Um, but he did not have a a very standout split at all. A lot of his uh, stats and stuff are fairly mediocre. He had the third most deaths uh, in the entire league and the most deaths among top laners, which again, like someone's going to have to have that. But, you know, Rich uh, did not have a good year and being on a bad team is only going to make that more likely to happen. He was tied for the fourth worst KDA again overall in the entire LCS and second amongst top laners. Uh, his laning stats were only neutral at the very best. Uh, the one thing about him was that he did have the second highest kill participation among top laners, so he was either getting around the map a lot or he was getting played for uh, a little bit. Um, but again, watching him wasn't super impressive. I'm not expecting him to improve much either because he's been around esports for a long time, playing Heroes of the Storm, then coming into League of Legends. He's already 25 too. So, and again, you, you kind of add all those factors with him being on Dignitas, not expecting a lot of improvement from him there. Um, but they do have a, a promising jungler, hopefully, uh, in XU, who started playing League in 2021 professionally under C9's amateur team. He was on Dignitas Academy slash their challengers team the last couple years, um, and now he's finally gotten promoted to their main roster. He did have a brief cup of tea in the LCS. He played seven games for them in 2022 summer, uh, but there wasn't really much success there. He's done better in the Challengers League, but he wasn't really quite one of the standout junglers in that league either. Again, mainly a carry jungler uh, kind of player. He has 34 games on Lee Sin, 28 games on Graves, 24 on Viego, as well as 16 on Nidalee and Wukong throughout the entirety of his career, so not a lot of, of tanks listed there. If Wukong's the closest thing, and even then he's just a bruiser. Um, the one thing that did end up standing out about him was that he did finish uh, with top three in KDA for junglers in the spring split of challengers this year, so there's a little something there maybe. Um, he seemed to, you know, when you're playing these carry junglers, he very much seemed to look for more full clears, liked to invade off, and was very, very aggressive in the, in the few games of him that I did watch. Um, but with that natural aggression came plenty of moments of getting out of position, losing where he was at in fights or in invades, uh, over chasing at times and getting himself killed, uh, either isolated or maybe with a teammate on an invade or something like that. And then Dove is their new mid laner. He ended up playing on Invictus Gaming uh, in the LPL in China uh, last year in spring, he, but he was teamless for summer. He's been around for a long time. He's been playing professionally since 2017. So kind of similar to Rich, he's been around for a long time, was in China last year, but was not that impressive. He was bottom three in KDA for mid laners, the lowest kill participation amongst mid laners, uh, and, and ended up being teamless, like I said, for summer. So that's obviously not uh, a good sign. Career-wise, he has 54 Azir games, 
uh, 44 on Rise, 31 on Zoe, 24 on Syndra, so very much a mage player, more so than Assassins or something else like that. He did end up playing a, a decent amount of Silas games. Silas was his most played champion in Spring Split last year, which was six games, so... You know, kind of a, a little bit there, but Silas was just kind of in the meta a little bit at that period of time. He's still pretty meta now, so I'm surprised that he doesn't have more games overall over the course of his career on that champion. Um, but again, you know, just teamless in summer was not impressive at all in spring. The KDAs um, for spring, that kind of looking at his box scores, I guess, basically is like the equivalent in uh, in traditional sports. Looking at his KDAs from his games, they were very unimpressive, very up and down, uh, generally speaking, in the games that they won. Uh, he did manage to find uh, some pretty good performances, but in a lot of their losses, he, he was uh, not looking that hot. Uh, and then watching a few games of his, I wasn't really impressed in particular by anything. Um, so very much... Uh, questioning the decision to bring him in probably there was some talent there at some point since he's been around for so long um, but I think him going teamless in summer was probably a, a, a good sign that you know maybe the there, there's not much there anymore uh, so this this feels like just a, a classic uh, NA import signing of bringing in someone from I believe as you said before you know from China or Korea and uh, just bringing them in because they're like average level talent over there and maybe they can find something here because the region's just going to be easier to play in. And then they kept Tomo as well as their AD carry from summer of last year, who they, I believe I said before replaced Spawn from them in Spring Split. Uh, but he, Tomo did not prove to be much better. He had the second worst AD carry for ADCs, only 0.1 higher than Tactical, who had the lowest uh, KDA amongst ADCs. His lane differentials amongst ADCs were the worst uh, by far in the league, um, and almost the worst in the entire league in general. Um, I'm kind of surprised that Dig didn't find a replacement for him. Again, I wonder if they were in on talks for like Meech or Masu or if there were any other standout uh, AD carries in the Challengers League that, that they could have been looking at. Because um, again, like the stats are bad. You take stats with a grain of salt, but just watching him too, like watching him confirmed that stuff uh, as well. So um, kind of surprised that they didn't look for anyone else. Maybe they did and they just got, you know, outbid or they didn't want to play with an organization like Dignitas could be that. Um, I am a little bit optimistic with their new support aisles coming in that maybe, you know, he should have at least a better support than what he had last year um, to, to play alongside him. I, I am I do like Isles uh, better than Diamond or Poom that he was playing with, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to be enough to probably have a big impact on him again. And again, surrounding uh, the, with the team surrounding him, there's not really much there to work with. I do like Isles. He was uh, on C9. In 2022 spring, he played a few games for them in the LCS, but he was mostly on their academy team brought in in, in 2021. Before that, he was in Oceania, and he was a good uh, support in OCE. He can play a little bit of everything uh, in the support role from tanks and enchanters. His most played champ by a good margin, though, is Nautilus uh, at 31 games to 19 games of Karma, but there is a long list there. So he, he you feel comfortable with him being able to play whatever is, is going to be meta. And I do think of him as an upgrade from the likes of Poom and Diamond, but he hasn't played pro in almost two years since after leaving uh, C9. He was not picked up anywhere else, and again, he only really played uh, in LCS for a few games in 2022. So we'll have to see how he stacks up, but it's not looking good for Dignitas. I am expecting 
absolutely nothing out of them, to be completely honest. It's it's definitely a bottom three finish. That is guaranteed 100%. Um, the absolute best will be sixth, but I probably have them uh, beating the worst team in the league. I have them finishing eighth most likely, and then maybe seventh if Immortals really surprises me at being that bad. Yeah, so I'm going to keep this kind of on the shorter side because it's going to be essentially everything I said about Immortals, just maybe a little less harsh. So like starting off, once again, we've chosen to use our two import slots on random Koreans, except this time coming from the LPL. So Dove, he played for uh, IG in spring, as you mentioned. They went ninth and failed to reach playoffs. And then he spent the entire summer on the bench. And then Rich, on the other hand, was on that V5 roster back in 2022 that pretty convincingly won the LPL spring season and should have gone to MSI, but fell short in playoffs, finished third, and then just barely failed to qualify for Worlds as well, finishing fourth. So, you know, even then, I don't think that he was necessarily the guy that made it happen. They had players like Rookie and Karsa, who I think are significantly better. Um, and it's kind of says a lot that he didn't play for them uh, later on. And sort of where my reservations lie are with Isles and uh, EXU or XU or however you say his name. I'm going to hold judgment on them for the time being because they had okay runs in the NACL, both of them, but spent most of 2023 just hanging out on benches. So there's kind of not a lot to go off there. So kind of waiting to see what they show before I, I really say much. And then Tomo as well. He He's a lot of the things that tactical is. Maybe not quite as bad, but he's right there at the bottom with them. Like you said, not sure why they kept him. I don't really have a lot of confidence in this roster. I think the only redeeming factor for them is the fact that they have those two question marks and the fact that Rich had a good year over in B5. So I, for me, this is going to be a ceiling sixth team and then floor eighth team. And I think that they probably will be around the middle of that point. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, with the way that we're going to be breaking this down, you know, starting in the reverse order, a lot of these teams are the teams that we do expect to be at the bottom. FlyQuest should hopefully, you know, be the one good team here, as we've talked about before with them and that roster and summer split of last year collapsing from what was a very promising spring split. The summer was the exact opposite of that. Hopefully we won't see that again with that roster. There is some volatility there with some of the personalities, but if they finish, you know, 6th, 7th, or 8th, something like that, that would be a very big disappointment. The rest of these teams, you know, that that's just kind of how they are with Immortals and Dignitas. Uh, 100 Thieves has a little bit more of a pedigree overall. They've had some really good rosters. They've had some really good players come through there, but I am definitely... Just looking at these four teams, I am other than FlyQuest. I'm gonna I'm gonna rule them out because of again, you know, should they should have a really solid roster. They have a lot of great players or that have been great players for a while. But amongst Dignitas, Immortals, and Hundred Thieves, I am very much the most excited for Hundred Thieves. You know, with taking some chances on the younger NA talent, with just some of these players. Uh, being hyped up for a while. Ayla was, you know, performing really well in TL Academy and had a lot of expectations coming in on him. We've talked to talked about Sniper to death, uh, and Meech was a, a pro very promising player in the Challengers League as well last year. They, they, they should be definitely the best team to come out of those three, um, and a, a lot of just, you know, real genuine, you know, excitement and, and promise on that group. 
Whereas we've, we've talked about Immortals and Dignitas, we really wish that they would have gone just some different routes in the roster building. Um, you know, even with even with someone like Rich, you know, who you did give him some credit for being you know somewhat decent on V5. I mean, I, I think they probably could have found someone else for him in the top lane too. Um, just as, as I was talking about the stats and the eye test watching him play last year in the top lane was not that good. Um, so I, I really do wish that the changes that Dignitas made, they probably they definitely could have done more. I would not have brought in Dove. I definitely would have looked somewhere else for him. Probably could have replaced Tomo. Getting XU in is good, unfortunately, because Santorin retired. Um, he was there. Starting jungler for all of last year, he was a super you know well-respected player. But bringing in a promising academy jungler should be fun. But they definitely had a lot more room to do with their roster as well as Immortals. So that's just how it is going through uh, these bottom teams first. Next episode, we'll be able to talk about a lot, uh, a lot better teams. Teams that should be fighting for the top three or four for the most part. Um, but other than that, that's going to be uh, our thoughts on the first half, this first part of these LCS rosters going into the 2024 spring split yeah so to wrap things up big thanks once again to all of you for sticking around to the end and continuing to support us you know the drill here drop a follow here on spotify so you don't miss the coming episodes also drop a follow on twitter that's at no rival underscore esports for all other banger esports content and next week is going to be part two of the lcs you won't want to miss that and then we'll have the lec rundown coming up after that so don't miss out. Stick around. We'll see you next time.